you so much for tuning in and welcome to episode three of Some Drivel. I'm your host JT and joining me for this third episode is the wonderful, talented, ridiculous IMDB list of credits, lovely human being that is Amanda Troop. Uh, Amanda, say hello. 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 <laughs> That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be on the Skype call with you. Oh, I'm so grateful that you've uh, you've given up your time for this. So thank you so much. We have a, a huge number of things to cover. Uh, first of all, most importantly, and I feel like every conversation kind of begins with this, because given what's going on in the world right now, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of isolation for every family. Uh, you obviously you have a, a young tiny human uh, that you I are. Do. So congratulations on that. Um, thank you very much. Has there been any sort of significant adjustment for you as a parent in terms of your daily routine? It There has been a significant shift. So, you know, we, we're lucky here in the great state of California. Our, our governor uh, and our mayor have been very proactive. And so we started doing the safer at home um, thing uh, pretty, pretty early on before, before other states were doing it. And when we did that, we made the decision – that we wouldn't um, see Brandon's parents, who have been an amazing support to us as far as coming and watching Milo. You know, if I had a booking or right. uh, auditions or whatever, you know, uh, and Brandon wasn't available to be on hand to watch Milo, they would come and they would be there. And it was really great to have them uh, come and be part of his life so frequently. So we were seeing them at least once a week. So this was a big part of our routine was knowing that at some point during the week, we would not have to watch him at all, which I mean, is just huge. It's like a, a present from the universe. Oh that yeah, we would that, that must be like that. such a such a weight off your shoulders to know that you've got that support network in place. Right. But since the Safer at Home, we kind of thought, you know, I've worked on set, Brandon's worked with his coworkers. We don't know. Maybe we could be carrying the COVID. Of we wanted to be really, really certain that we were protecting our my my in laws uh, as much as we could. And so we haven't seen them uh, or anybody for about a month. Um, and you know, we did a we did a a, a FaceTime Easter dinner with my oh. parents. Florida Lovely. and his parents here and uh, his brother-in-law and it's it's different but you know it's 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 like a small sacrifice in order to keep everyone safe of course um and I mean it really is the least we can do is just to like stay home and not interact with people um and uh so that being said um we no longer had them we no longer had the option to have a sitter um and so we had to work out a routine for every day so that we both have time to get work done. And the way we worked it out was with nap times. And fortunately, our boy is a great napper. Yes, um, <laughs> success. <laughs> but success, success. Um, and uh, so basically, we worked it out that I would do morning until first nap and Brandon would split breakfast with me. Um and then first nap starts and my work window begins. So then I get first nap all the way until the end of second nap. So that's like a nice chunk of time in the middle of the day. And then right. Brandon takes the awake time between the two naps, puts him down for second nap. And then at the end of second nap, 
which is usually around 4 or 5 p.m., uh, I take over and, you know, we do dinner and then Milo goes to bed around 7.30. So that's working for us really, really well. Oh, it great. gives me time to jump in the voiceover booth and do auditions, give me time to, you know, whatever acting business I need to do. If I'm going to be on a podcast, for example. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice, nice segue. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, but for the first two weeks, we didn't have that routine. And so it was, we were both struggling because we weren't feeling like we were able to um, get the time we needed. And right, and it, it must have taken both... a minute to kind of find that rhythm, right? To know yeah. to know how you can balance the dynamic of both your working lives and your lives as parents. Yes, absolutely. So, so, so we had to work it out, and then once we worked it out, it seemed like, well, this is completely logical. I mean, this is going to be a routine that stays in place moving forward no matter what happens because it's working so well for us. That's so, so interesting that through this, you've kind of discovered like a new approach that actually will stand the test of time a bit and kind of has affected your, how you parent and how you manage yeah. that. It's so interesting. Um, yeah. Cause that's, you've touched on it a little bit, actually. That was something that I'm very aware of that, you know, so many people either have been furloughed or then, you know, either maybe have lost their jobs or the other end of the spectrum are continuing to work, but have had to go through that adaption of setting up work from home setups and finding mm-hmm. new ways to kind of communicate with their teams. And that, so for you then, are you, you kind of touched on it already that this idea that you're able to continue working on voice roles and auditioning, has that, has that been, if anything, has that been the easier adjustment? Because were you doing that kind of already working from home? Well, yeah, so I already was doing a lot of auditions from my home uh, VO setup. And so fortunately, I had most of that in place and ready to go. And then since all of this has happened, I've gotten myself on a program called Source Connect, which allows me to uh, have uh, other studios patch in so I can record, I can be on my mic in my booth, but then a sound engineer somewhere else in the world can be recording the voiceover for whatever job it is. And so I had this inkling right away that I would need that. So I got on that almost instantly. And then about a week later, our agents were all asking us, can you get on Source Connect? Can you do? And so I thought, okay, good. I'm a little bit ahead of the curve there. Yeah, that that was a really good, uh, good bit of foresight from you there. Well, you know, you look at the news and you look at the trends and it seems like we're going to be, we, we need to sort of settle in. Yeah. We need to figure out how to make this a long-term uh, project for ourselves. We can't think of this as temporary. We have to get sort of in the flow of this is maybe a new lifestyle and either you can try to adapt or you can fight it, but fighting it isn't you know, it's, it's just going to get you, it's sort of like fighting uh, a riptide, you know, you're supposed to let go and right. sort of drift with the riptide swimming against it will only make you exhausted. And I think swimming against this mentally will make you exhausted mentally, as opposed to saying, okay, I don't like this and I'm going to take this at my own pace and I'm going to be, I'm going to be gentle in my mind because I know that this is a big transition and I'm dealing with a lot of things um, absolutely that that i suppose there's also that yeah. notion as well of like it's almost like the law of diminishing returns right if you don't if you aren't willing to adapt to the fact that this could potentially even in the short term be a new normal then ultimately yeah. that is a losing fight 
right? And and I suppose also what's what I think that if you're going to look for a silver lining in all of this, you've kind of you've said it already with the fact that you've just stumbled upon this incredibly like military precision efficient parenting schedule, which is fantastic. <laughs> but also I've I I know certainly speaking for myself, I've found the opportunity for to engage in creative pursuits has been mm-hmm. um truly quite transformative you know quite amazing the opportunity i've had to for myself do things i've always wanted to do i'm i'm a freelance writer by you know 50% of my work but the other half is i'm a, a writer director for the hackney youth in london and of course mm-hmm. that side of things is very much on pause right now so yes. i've seen this this is where the, the podcast started during the lockdown so this whole project is now just another angle another part of my freelance work that is something i was always wanting to do again and always revisit but it is it's about seizing that opportunity for yourself i think and that sounds like something that you and um and brandon have done for yourselves as parents but also in your working lives yeah and and i do want to say though you know some people uh have looked at this as, oh, this is the chance I had to get the, you know, the, the, my novel written, or this is the chance I had to do my short film projects or to really dive into my activism work or whatever. Some people have been extremely inspired to action. Yes. Uh, Other people and other people, this has been, uh, draining, overwhelming, energy sucking. And then of course, that and that is only if you're part of a very privileged group of people that uh, can have a roof over their heads, has enough food, right. and then has the time in order to do creative pursuits or pursuing other things outside of their work. Um, and then there's, I think, many, many more people who are finding this to be incredibly draining. Maybe they're still uh, an essential worker, as they're termed, um, which I think is sort of the understatement of the century oh, in every um, in every conceivable way yeah and and so people are are literally just uh you know barely getting from one thing to the next and um there's a there was an excellent interview from elizabeth gilbert on the ted interview podcast where she sort of talks about you know pace yourself pace yourself right and and for us, we we had to figure out how to balance our energy because we were both um, burning out at various ends of the spectrum. And um, uh, and I'm an extrovert. And suddenly all of the sources of my energy, because I don't know if you know this. Uh, if you do, I apologize for telling you information you might already know. But extroverts <laughs> get their energy from other people and introverts Abs- – Absolutely. Don't need as much, right? <laughs> this is why we and, like acting. <laughs> <laughs> right. And not all actors are extroverts, but I'm an no. extrovert. And I didn't realize quite how much I was and how I really relied on going to auditions and seeing people there, going to my agent's office, being on set, um, even just going grocery shopping, going to the park, Things like that. Yeah, the normal things, where, the, mu- the mundane things, right? Yeah, and all these th- little things would give me little uh, bursts of energy. And so the first couple of weeks, I was complete. I couldn't, I didn't want to, you know, I was lucky. I had voiceover auditions to do. But even to do those auditions, I really had to wind myself up and go, okay, all right. Right. We're going to get to this. And, of course, that's not a very good place to create 
from, um, which is sort of transitioning back into talking about if you're working in the creative sphere from a place of, well, I better do this or I should really be creative yeah, now. It kind I, of, absolutely. It kind of doesn't work. <laughs> no, and I, I actually think you've, you've, there's a couple of points you made there I think you've, uh, that are really interesting, which is to, to acknowledge the fact that, you know, for those of us that are creatively inclined, um, extrovert or otherwise, because as you quite rightly say, actors can be introvert and it's through that that they are able to express themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But also that, you know, for, for those people like us that are lucky to either do what they love as a job, right? And that it also happens to be a creatively stimulating pursuit. There are many, many people who, for them, they're living week to week, check to check. And when they come home, they're either exhausted or if they're stuck at home, they have no, they have no escape. They have no outlet for that. So it is, it is something that it's so important to acknowledge that privilege and also how, how blessed and fortunate you can be if you are in that position to be able to express yourself creatively. Um, And that for those that aren't, whether whether they are, whether it's um, they're battling their mental health or they're trying Mm -hmm. to reevaluate their situations in either their careers or relationships that actually that it for those for people like that which is is the vast majority it can be those small victories can't it it can be that that connection with an old friend it can be you know just um making sure you keep in touch with the in-laws and or speaking to family members you haven't spoken to for a while though those small victories can count and just be and be just as significant i think than as every other um outlet for creativity and emotion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, uh, I have a dear friend who one time told me that, uh, I shouldn't should all over myself. So don't should all over yourself, meaning I should do this. I should do that. I should do this because that gets you into that place of feeling like you're guilting yourself into action. And I definitely was shooting myself the first couple weeks and finally, and I was completely stuck there. There was, I, I, my anxiety kicked up. Um, and you know, I spent a lot of time just sort of crying into my baby's hair. Like that was, you know, not <laughs> personal insight there, but like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't a great place to be. It was very right. filled with fear. I made myself a, a, a list called Amanda's stuck list. And I wrote on it all kinds of things that I might want to do, not should do, but want to do. And I gave them all different headings like creative, home, um, physical, uh, emotional, self-care. And I just listed all kinds of things that I know that I have liked doing at various times. I love that. that, I I love a list, by the way. (laughs) Oh, I love a list too. I also love a list. But that included things like cleaning the house and and taking a bath and taking a walk or sitting and looking at a tree, you know, so I just made this list and I haven't used the list, but knowing that the list is there was a big help to me to know that maybe I don't feel like doing any of that right now, but if I did want to do something, I could go to that list yeah, and, I suppose and it's, pick something. If anything, you've got, it's, it's the fact that you've gone through the process of making it, even if you don't end up needing to use it. Right. That must be such a, it's almost cathartic in a way, isn't it? Because you know that you've got that thing there. You've, you've kind of gone, right, I've, ta- I've hit pause and everything and I've l- taken a quick look at myself. Maybe I'll get to this, maybe I won't, but actually just yeah. do the act of doing it. It does help to reframe things slightly and make things perhaps not seem quite so overwhelming. Right, right. 
Exactly. It's a huge part of this as well. I know that, by the way, that that should thing has really struck a chord with me because I am I am notorious for that, both in my professional and personal life, that uh, I, I can be a shoulder, right? Oh, mm-hmm. I should have, I should have done this mm-hmm. thing or got more people involved in this project where I know I needed help but didn't. Or I should have got to the gym quicker because now I'm snacking for days. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's that I'm so guilty of that. But that also doesn't mean you had then have to go, well, I'm not going to improve one bit. There's, there's right. a, there's a middle ground there where you can just go. It's, it's more about opportunity rather than guilt. Right. And ask yourself, do I want to do this? Like, yes. yeah, I, I should write. Do I want to write? Oh, I, I want to write. Okay. I'm going to write now. You know, that, that I think is a much more kind way to approach your process yes, of whatever th- you need to do. Yeah. And I think that also is, it allows you to draw a line between those things of like, of, of the guilt and the opportunity. You could, there is a, a space to be occupied there. That's not yeah. quite, that's not quite so harsh on yourself. And I, I want to give a shout out to someone. Actually, I think it's, it's someone who, um, really subscribes to your line of thinking. Uh, my dear friend Zoe, who I know is listening, she listens with her morning coffee uh, to the Some Drivel podcast. Um, she uh, has just started a uh, Facebook initiative called uh, Unique Minds, um, oh. which is basically a support group for those battling with mental health and basically just looking for a place to either vent, talk, share what's going on in their day and just find some like-minded human beings. Mm-hmm. And I really like the way... I think that I think what you've described and what you've done, both as a parent but also as you as a human, I think would really um, ring true for a lot of what her goals are with in in her mm. battle with mental health and her attempts mm. to help others. So I, <laughs> Zoe, shout out to you. I, I think mm. this um, this is a very topical conversation for you and everything you're the amazing work that you're doing. Because um, that's something as well, Amanda. You have helped me so well with my segue so far, by the way. Oh, <laughs> this is <laughs> great. <laughs> this, this is a pro segue situation we're in right now. Um, Excellent. Y- you mentioned, of course, that you are still actively auditioning. You are still doing VO work and even able to work with sound engineers. I think that's amazing. You're able to still have that back and forth where you get that feedback, even if it is from someone, you know, other side of the globe. Um, have you found it, in terms of your workload specifically, have you found there certain opportunities have kind of just gone right? We're on pause right now. We'll see you on the other side. Or, oh yes. Oh okay. There have been. Oh yes. So so you know I do on camera acting as well. Yes. And uh uh and I work with an agent uh in L.A. for theatrical, but also out of the southeast. And uh, I had to tell my agent in the southeast I am not going to be able to fly to do work there. Right. And of course, production shut down here uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, I did a commercial um, right right before all of this happened, um, which I have no idea if that's going to air or not, but I definitely was glad to be on set and working. Yeah. Um, but then I counted down from when I was on set for two weeks to see like, oh, that was a lot of people together. There were people touching my face, you know. Um, there was shared, there was shared craft service and we were already at that point kind of looking at each other a little, uh, you know, like out of the corner of our eyes, like, should we, should we be here? Is this safe? That's already starting to happen, right? It was already starting to happen. There was, there were like, are we shaking hands or are we not shaking hands? (laughs) It was in that, that phase of, I feel like maybe we shouldn't be shaking hands anymore. And there was a lot of hand washing and a lot of like caution 
Which, by the way, uh, if, to solve that problem, yeah. I'd like to just, as a quick segue to that, I would like to um, propose, and I've been trying to, yes. I, I feel like I, I've been saying this to as many human beings as I can interact with, that the Star Trek Live Long and Prosper salute. Oh, yes, the Vulcan uh, salute. The Vulcan salute. Can that please just be the universal handshake from henceforth? Can that I not think it should be. Right? Yeah, why not? Come on. If they can make a VR game called Bridge Commander, where we're literally just, you know, you're puppeteering on the bridge and having a great time. If that is acceptable by wider society, then we can definitely make the the live long and prosper situation an actual thing. Please. I think so. I think so. I think it's an excellent. And it also speaks to um, how we should approach each other globally. Yep. You know, Star Trek is a pretty good vision of the future. Let's Let's work toward it. And by the way, I'm so glad you mentioned Star Trek because I do feel like... Uh, I feel like Brexit was mm. the is like two steps now away from what like we were on the way to the United Federation of Planets, <laughs> and yeah. Brexit kind of like destroyed that notion, and I was furious, <laughs> so upset. I know, um, I know. Just want Star what a Trek. Mess. Just want Star Trek to what be a real. Mess. Um, oh, that's actually that's because I know you guys, you and Brandon. I I did catch uh, a while back. You did uh, some Bridge Commander streams. You guys were playing the game together. Um, yeah, that was fun hilarious and just awesome have you watched picard you know what we haven't gotten to it yet okay and i am such a next generation fan and a huge fan of uh john stewart's and did i say john stewart you did <laughs> it's patrick stewart patrick stewart <laughs> john stewart is great on the daily show <laughs> but yeah <laughs> patrick stewart i'm blushing <laughs> <laughs> this i can edit it's fine i can edit it out <laughs> Patrick Stewart. I'm a big fan of Patrick Stewart. Huge next gen fan. <laughs> I am a huge next gen fan, and I'm a huge fan of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> there we and go. Uh, I've been very much enjoying his sonnet a day on uh, yes. Instagram. Yes, up to twenty eight or something now, isn't he? It's uh, yeah, pretty cool. If you're a fan of that, like like next gen DS Nine Voyager, like that era of mm-hmm. Trek, it's mm-hmm. got something for everyone. So, um, <laughs> well, you know, I yeah. I do a an improvised Star Trek show, right? I you beg you. About- I beg your pardon? Yes. So we've done like six seasons, what? I think, or maybe it's seven. Uh, yeah, of an Im- a totally improvised Star Trek show in the style of The Next Generation. Right. And it's called The Improvised Generation. Of course it is. And uh, we had just started our season when all of this went down. And so we had to cancel all of our shows. And there's some talk of trying to do some improvised shows over Zoom but it's pretty difficult to do an improvised show. So I don't know where that's standing uh, at the moment. But you can watch <laughs> most of our episodes on YouTube uh, at the Improvised Generations YouTube channel. That and, is awesome. Yeah, I play uh, Lieutenant Commander Alaria Vina. She's uh, uh, from Beta Z. And she uh, was captured by the Borg. And had a Borg implant placed in her brain in the area that uh, is the center of the of, of Betazoid's telepathy, and uh, it amplified her powers to the point where if she uses them, it causes people to have extreme pain and headaches and vomiting, and so she had to stop using her powers and. Because she has Borg implants in her head, Starfleet decided, you know, we won't we won't demote you, but you'll never be able to move up the ladder 
of command because what if the Borg regain control of this chip in your head and then we have a Borg captain of a ship. So that's my, that's my backstory. So all of the characters have a backstory that they've created and that's come out in various shows and we've made it canon over, you know, several years of performing it. It's pretty fun. Sorry, am I awake? <laughs> that was uh, that okay <laughs> there are people listening right now there, there are buddies of mine there are people i share this with online that know how much i love trek and how obviously improv theater is is my background it's my it's been my uh it's been a huge part of my teaching work and uh for myself as a performer this sounds freaking awesome and i'm definitely <laughs> going to be finding that immediately after this podcast uh, yeah, please. That sounds right. I love the detail of your backstory because that's something I talk about with my students when they when we're doing improv technique. Is you know don't just go in with great ideas and a funny joke for now. Think about where your character came from. Think about where what the history is, even if you are making it up on the spot. Like those things are so important to making a performance believable to an audience. So, uh, that's yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, just the fact that the word Beta Z has been uttered during this podcast means I've basically, <laughs> we, Amanda, you and I have basically won life at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, well, okay. I mean, that has, I, I don't know if we have enough tape <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to cover this. Um, okay. No, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to have to ask. Segways to maximum. What? Okay. okay. Who who started this and how and why? Uh, there were a couple, you know, so so I, I studied at a place called Impro Theater uh, uh, and they teach long form narrative improv. And there were several students in the school that said, we want to make our own show and we want to do an improvised Star Trek. And uh, so they said, we're doing this. Who wants to audition? So I auditioned and I got cast in the show. And um, yeah, that's how that came about. Brilliant. And basically, we're just a bunch of Star Trek fans, and each episode is an hour long, and it's one complete TV episode. We studied the structure of the show. Oh, with like so, the, the five acts, and yeah, right, right. That's oh, that's fantastic. Does this have any? Yeah. Does it have any association with your work with Ripley? Well, it's the same. It's the same um, uh, improv school. It's the same. Ah. So the same people um, and the same kind of studies. And so right. uh, w- one of the, the women in our group, Maddie Goff, she looked around and she said, okay, I've, I've identified a couple badass women. I would like to see if you'd like to do improv together. And so we all said yes. And that's how Ripley started. And now we're in a growth phase of Ripley where we started doing uh, film production and we're um, – going to hopefully be expanding our membership uh in the next uh year or so um of course pending everything pending the world but um you know we really want to get into doing more film some scripted material some unscripted material so like the films that we did uh in the fall of 2018 which are currently being shopped around to festivals um those films were all uh, improvised from start to finish. So we improvised uh, five films over the course of five days. And we had the crew following us along and we got suggestions from uh, our donors because we were funded by by many, many people, friends and family. 
And one of the things that people got to offer at a certain level was a suggestion. And so our director, the morning of the shoot would say, okay, here's your suggestion. And then we'd roll camera and, you know, the, the makeup and wardrobe people would know what we were doing that day. And the set decorator would know what we were doing that day. So we would get our wardrobe, we would get our hair and makeup, and then we go on to set with the suggestion and we go, oh, okay, what are we going to make with this? And um, the results were really interesting and wow, really fun. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to when we, whenever we get to share the films with the wider audience because they turned out really great. That's fascinating that you had the, the crew were almost improvising with you, right? Like the having uh, they to... were They were improvising with us. They, they knew... They knew the suggestions, but the camera, the lighting, everyone was moving around with us. So it had to be so, just as, as improv is, which is a very fluid thing, which it, it constantly ebbs and flows. The, so the crew were having to do setups and like adapt to that on the fly. Even if you know the premise going in, where that story goes, they're kind of just having to roll with it. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. I can't even imagine and what directing that would look like. <laughs> Uh, it, well, it was it was a lot of directing in advance. So it was a lot of um, our director, Kelly Lohman, uh, helping us figure out how to um, work with the camera and how to allow for time for the cameras to transition. So, uh, for example, there's a scene that's a dinner party and um, there was a chicken that needed to be cut up. And I said that I would cut up the chicken. And so I got into position and waited till I felt the B camera on the close-up for cutting up the chicken before I began to do the action. So it was right. something that we practiced. We practiced uh, communicating not just with each other, but also with the cameras. And we also practiced improvising a lot more slowly so that there would be space between our lines for uh for editing. Yeah, of course. It's something you would never normally have to consider in a scripted setup, which is that the camera's in place, lighting is set, rolling set action, you shoot it, and then it's done, isn't it? That moment right. is over. I, I never also would have considered that you would have had to have a sort of, you know, like peripheral vision awareness of the camera to know that all oh, the coverage is ready. So I can right. I can now do that thing that I'm going to make up. Right. And I would argue that when you're on set, you no matter what the project is, you do need to have that peripheral vision. Right. Same with the audience. If you're on stage, you you're not unaware sure. that they're there, even if you're very very sunken into a moment. Because if you're completely lost in a moment to the point of not being able to share it with your audience, then I feel like you're not serving the storytelling. Right. And I, it's and, almost like and, you're serving yourself. Then I suppose at that point. Right. Right. And you've become a little bit of a, a selfish actor at that moment. Well, and so, I, you know, I feel like that's a very fine line. But, it, you know, if you're not letting people into the story, then you're not serving the story. And ultimately, I believe that serving the story, telling the story, expressing the story is what we need actors for. I completely agree. And once again... You have helped me with my segues <laughs> uh, because it was something I really wanted to ask you about. And it's uh, an issue that I've talked about with my students a lot. And also from my own work, whenever I've done, if I've done any theater stuff when I was a kid, is the issue of creative block where you may be working with an actor where you're not vibing with them and the scene isn't working. 
and the, mm. what how you get over that hurdle and it's something I've, I've always been interested to talk to actors about people like yourself who are in this world and are having to constantly create is for you maybe maybe for yourself can you speak to what how you handle the process where maybe you don't you know you're not maybe firing on all cylinders and you know it's not working do you have a process to kind of get you out of that that is a very good question i think the first thing that comes to mind is repetition and time right and so let's say you have a monologue that you're working on and it's not clicking and you're not you can't get all the words out and it's not working for you i would say work the words write the words on another piece of paper speak the words record the words listen to the words back uh lay on your floor breathe whisper the words out and these are i'm and i'm taking little bits of things that I've learned from places all over the all sure. over the place, like like laying on your floor and whispering the words. That's from Canada's National Voice Intensive. David Smuckler taught that there. And you know, uh, if you want to repeat the words back and forth with a friend, maybe you do a little Meisner, uh, where you might say a phrase back and forth to see if you can d- dig some other meaning out of it. You could you could write out the intention behind every word. Um, oh, right. That's know, that's really uh, interesting that there because also I suppose it's about if, if maybe if you're becoming stale, right? Like I really like the idea of like if you're saying it back and forth, like the Meisner technique, saying it mm-hmm. back and forth with someone, you might find like a weird emphasis comes out, like oh I never said that word like that, but saying right. it, it because of the repetition, because of the back and forth, you kind of yeah they're like happy accidents, right? Like you just discover well, stuff yeah. out of nowhere. And then what I would say is so you do all this stuff, whatever you need to do, and then let it all go, sleep on it, don't come back to it for a while, and then pick it up when it when it sends you a message. Right. If it, you know, and, and then see how it feels then. I mean, I've done plays where there's that scene that comes up that's a struggle every night, and then finally three weeks in, I go, oh, there it is. Light bulb. You've got it. I got it. I got it. And maybe that light bulb is only that night. And then you can't recapture. Because the the thing is, of course, you can't really recapture something. It's always going to be new. Yeah, because then then you fall in that trap of manufacturing, right? If it's an emotional piece, it can sometimes be like, you you find yourself, oh, now I'm just pretending to be upset rather than being upset because my character is, right? Like it becomes that that artificial cycle. Um, I really like the the Meisner, the reference you made to that. That's a really lovely approach. Um, And the whisper technique too. That's really interesting. There's, Um, I mean, that's kind of the thing is there's no, like you can't, I, I, I feel that one cannot simply... Uh, walk into Mordor. No, what one, one cannot. Simply, um, <laughs> you can't just sucker punch me with Mordor. That's the... <laughs> one, one cannot simply study one acting technique and think that's enough. I've got it. I right. know how to act. Absolutely. You need to constantly be studying and learning different techniques because they're not all gonna work all the time. And so you need to have this toolkit for yourself and then you need to be working out with your toolkit and, uh, and certain things will work for you at certain times in your life and other things 
will not. Yes, that's and, you've hit the nail on the head there. That's yeah. the idea of it not being an answer, like an open the page and there's the solution. It's about mm -hmm. having the tools in your kit to deploy depending on the context and the situation. Whatever mm -hmm. scene, whatever theatrical film, TV challenge you're faced with, whatever it looks like, is is yeah. having a grounding of technique to be able to then take that forward. Yeah. And then ultimately, I feel that at some point, this is where I'm at now, is I'm I'm peeling back the layers of my acting onion and I'm trying to go, okay, how is this most me? How is this most this character through the lens of my experience? How can I be most present doing this work right now? And um, if you're in Los Angeles or actually anywhere in the world because she's offering online classes, but Risa Bremen-Garcia teaches this from BGB Studios and she's got Zoom classes. But, oh, cool. Um, yeah. So, you know, how, how can you be, how can, basically, how can you allow yourself to be affected by the other person yeah and that's such a huge question because and it's something i also wanted to touch upon with you which is that you know if you're specifically with improv theater have mm -hmm. you have you felt that kind of not in your stomach that dread when you realize my scene partner isn't listening or <laughs> or like you know, you know they're bringing their so own fun. narrative you know it's so fun for me though when my scene partner isn't listening because i uh will I, I love to get someone's attention again. Oh, I and see. When you're right. doing, <laughs> and when you're doing improv, uh, you're really free to make a sudden emotional turn if need be. Yeah. But that does, that's not to say that you're not free to do it on stage as well. Of course, within the realm of like, you know, don't, don't throw the show. But if you're doing a scene and you can tell your scene partner's mind is elsewhere and your blocking is to not touch them, maybe that night you put a hand on their shoulder. Right, right. Well, it, that'll, 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 that'll shock them right back into the present. That'll get their attention, yeah. Yeah, and obviously, you know, don't touch anyone without permission. That shouldn't need to be said, but but <laughs> yeah, I'm saying it, okay? But, but so take, so in this instance, you are allowed to touch your scene partner uh, because you have made that agreement previously and perhaps in this scene you were not blocked to do so but you reach out and you put your hand on their arm to to say your next line that will help bring them back to you sure. and it's the same in improv where you know perhaps you need to change your physical proximity to someone or or another thing you can do is suddenly become silent and breathe with them and whoa if you start breathing in, uh, oh, this is, um, I'm going to say Pat, Patsy Roddenberg. Hold on. I'm going to look up this name to make sure I get it right. Quick bit of research. <laughs> Quick bit of research. Patsy Roddenberg. There we go. So she talks about the second circle, which is um, ultimate presence. And if you're ever with someone who you think, my goodness, that person has so much charisma. That person is really listening to me. That person is in second circle with you. And so if you get really in second circle with your scene partner, they will feel it and they'll go, oh, oh, you're here with me. I'm not alone. Okay. Right, right. And they'll come back and the audience will go, oh, they'll feel it. They'll go, 
oh, everybody's, oh, the actors are really here with us. And it's a very exciting moment to have happen. So, you know, know that, know that you have agency in asking your scene partner to be with you. Right. And I suppose that, and it's okay for you to throw in stuff to, to mix it up to either whether to get their attention or to, because you're on uh, night six of a 12 night run, you know, right. whatever that, whatever the context may be, your point is that if you're finding yourself or your other actor and you're up against that wall is the solution is, you know, don't rely on one solution, change a pattern, go to the toolkit, mm-hmm. find a new right. way to make it fresh. Cause that, that seems to be the great challenge is especially when you're, and I imagine for the work you do as a voiceover actress, you're recording maybe like multiple takes of one line to give a different, you know, depending on what the engineer wants or what the director's looking for. So I'm, well, I'm, I'm don't want to speak out of turn. Is that the case? Do you typically? Oh yeah. Yes. Right. So, so you would typically do like record multiple times of the same thing. And I suppose then for you, you're in the booth, you're on your own. That's when I imagine you would then draw on your own toolkit and your own training in order to keep that performance fresh. Yeah. You, you draw on, you draw on the power of imagination and visualization at that point. And, and I would contend that you can also be present with, the engineers and the director and your microphone as, you know, there's a, there's a way to be in the moment and not to be generating a sound because if you find yourself like, I need to make, I'm going to make this sound happy. And it's like, (laughs) where's that coming from? Is that, is that organically created or is it, um, generated from, an idea of what that should sound like. Yeah, and also I suppose the uh, the notion, this is something that again comes up a lot in youth theatre, which is that uh, young actors, particularly sort of like teenage actors, think that acting is when you speak. But it's it's not, It's it can be how you react to another actor, it's your backstory, it's your intention, your emotion. There are ways to convey what you're feeling and what the character wants without necessarily saying it explicitly with words. Right. <laughs> so, right. but then, of course, in a VO booth, you've got your your instrument is your voice. And do, do you find like so when when you're in there and you're uh, portraying a character, whatever the given character uh, or emotion may be, do you still do you find yourself gesturing? Do you sort of almost oh. act physically like in the booth? Yes, you have to. You have to. Right. Now you have to mind the mic. Don't hit the mic. Sure. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Good advice. Don't. Don't stomp your feet. Uh, Don't slam into the wall of your booth if the booth wall is close to you, you know. Um, Don't don't break the furniture. (laughs) Don't break furniture. Yeah. Uh, Also, be mindful that your clothing is quiet clothing. If you're wearing a track suit... For right. example, sure, yeah, that might not be the best choice. Don't don't wear seventeen bracelets. <laughs> don't wear seventeen bracelets. That's... You know, no, actually, I wore earrings one time to an audition, and as I got into the booth, I realized I could hear the earrings in my ear, and it's the kind of light tinkling sound that you might not pick up normally. Sure. And I went, oh, and so I took the earrings off because. Suddenly, I thought, "Well, this is going to get picked up. It's going to get picked up on my yeah. It'll be awful. Like, what is that? Are are, yeah? Are you are you Tinkerbell? What is going on? I have, by the way, (laughs) great question. By the way, I've also just decided that the uh, the name of the inevitable book I write is going to be "Don't Wear Seventeen Bracelets." Yes, exactly. The idea is, is no one's going to know really what it's about. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just it's just maybe my autobiography it could be called yeah, that yeah 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 it'll, it'll fly off the shelves thanks amanda i, I owe you royalties um so uh <laughs> you you help me with this workshop we're gonna hit pause for a moment we're gonna hit pause okay. just for a moment because i want to give a couple okay. of shout outs uh to some folks some, uh, some people that support us to the crew at alt card games uh, alt card is a uh, news reviews previews interviews website they have one of the best t- news teams in the business and they have been massively supportive of my efforts. Shout out to you guys. Um, also to the crew at Game On Daily. Uh, they have been instrumental in helping uh, collect questions for the podcast for all of our featured guests. Um, you guys are awesome and amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, also a shout out to some of our regular listeners, uh, Mike, Zoe, Adam. Uh, you guys are just the best humans. And cheers for all your lovely feedback. And now we're back with Amanda Troop. I am still here. The one with the IMDb <laughs> of insanity. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, and it's mm-hmm. something that also came in from one of our uh, questions. I have a question here from Aza uh, okay. on Game On Daily. Uh, you have, again, I- I've referenced it already. A-, a quick glance at your IMDb page will see your uh, parchment scroll long list of credits <laughs> and various projects that you've been involved with. And I know you've recently just uh provided additional voiceover for the final fantasy 7 remake mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um congratulations by the way huge Thank project you. your voice being Thank heard you. by millions um uh with all of these things i've seen you've done similar uh work for uh i think it was uh, was it crackdown i believe you've appeared oh on? yeah i was crackdown 2 the second mm-hmm. crackdown that's right um uh rage 2 horizon zero dawn etc etc those projects when you compare something like that like the audition process for something like that versus say the death of superman the dc animated project Mm -hmm. is there a fundamental difference between those audition processes or do you get the job in the same way there is not a fundamental difference okay in the audition process for a video game or an animated project or uh, a commercial voiceover. Essentially, the audition is very similar. It's usually in the booth, either at your agency or the casting office or at home, and you get the sides, and then you interpret the nature of the project, the the style of the project. Um, you know, because the acting styles can be different, um, the intensity can be different, the um, broadness of character can be different um, with uh, video games uh, they tend to be more filmic in style right um, uh, animation can be a little bit bigger with larger emotional changes that happen quickly but that's not the case with something like death of superman where again it's a very filmic style of animation and so you're going to be very grounded in your acting Oh, that's interesting uh, that there's more, a bit more naturalism with something like that. and it's Yeah, bit, but, yeah. you know, then, but then with those specific projects, um, uh, Death of Superman was a direct offer after having auditioned and worked with the director on other projects. Ah, nice. It was a bit of a kind of who you know kind of moment. Oh, well, I, I mean, th- there's that, but it's also you put in the time. And, right. you know, there's, a, there's an expression that says um, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> and, right. Right. And, you know, I've been in Los Angeles for 20 years. 
so this is 20 years of work to build relationships, um, to uh, have consistent uh, product as far as, you know, you hire me, this is what you get. Um, this is my range and what I'm capable my, of, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and also to express like I'm growing, I'm improving, I'm, you know, all of these things. So so you're building relationships throughout your career. And so there's there's definitely, you know, yes, there'll be people that come in and within the first year of, of doing their auditions, they'll get that thing that catapults them up to to fame and whatnot. But mostly you're just going to plug away at it. And so you just take every audition as a chance to act and you act in the way that is appropriate for the project. Right. So uh, I think I think that's a roundabout way of answering that question. Yeah, that's really interesting that there's there's more crossover between the different mediums than I thought, mm-hmm. that it is ultimately just about the performance. They just want to know what you can do, right? And whether it's if it's someone you've worked with before, then great because they might call you in thinking oh you're perfect for this um but mm-hmm. i just that's so interesting that the process i suppose the, the reason i ask is i was speaking to uh, in our previous episode i was speaking to alice coulthard she's um uh, no coulthard <laughs> there's a whole running gag of me not getting her name right so um mm-hmm. uh, i was speaking to her in my last episode and she has appeared in uh, a couple of uh, video game titles uh, the order 1886 for sony mm-hmm. um and also mm-hmm. uh, lone echo the vr game she's the lead actress okay. in that and okay. she's also been uh in 286 episodes of british soap opera emmerdale amazing uh, and that process was a two-month rigorous back and forth to to because you'll be auditioning she was her character was joining with a family of characters so there was lots of chemistry tests and it was very involved versus say kind of what you've described which is that with something like a lone echo or order or the stuff that you as you've already said that you've done it is you get your sides you're in the booth you're either at the office or you're at home you read the sides you do the best job you can and they cast you based on what they hear and that's so interesting that those two those two processes can be so different but that in your case across animation across games across um, commercials that there actually is kind of a through line really is that they're quite similar yeah i think i think that they i think that when you're thinking in terms of um the work that you do as the actor there's more similarity to it than difference and um i was just talking about this with a with my friend uh the other day uh but uh for me what i think about is what is my proximity to the person who I'm trying to affect. Right. And so if I'm, if, if I'm on screen, you know, if I'm in a commercial or on a TV show, there's a certain distance to that person based on where the camera is and also where that person is in that scene. And it's the same on stage, but now the, the, the camera is replaced by the person at the back of the audience. And, you know, if it's a video game, well, now the microphone is part of, you know, the, the, you include, I, I, I find that if I include that idea of the microphone's proximity to me being part of the scene, um, that that just helps me dial into the energy that's needed to communicate across the distance. Right. So so then you're just doing your acting work 
with the understanding of your proximity. And, and then, and then it makes things more simple as opposed to thinking that you need to learn a different style of acting. Acting is acting. Yeah. There's more crossover than perhaps than one would assume because it's, even though the mediums are so massively different, actually in terms of how the consumer consumes the content at the other end, right right um it passive versus interactive but this this notion that actually that if it's just they just need convincing good acting <laughs> it doesn't matter what the ultimate delivery right. system is um, and that's and that's why and that's why when when people say oh i've been told i have a great voice so i want to get into voice voiceover uh, my first response is well take an acting class because yes that, absolutely it's acting it's acting yeah, it's a, because if you've got a nice sounding voice, what you do with that sound, that is the acting technique, right? Mm-hmm. It's so, right. right. So, okay. So um, one of our, I mentioned already, uh, Aza uh, from Game On Daily had uh, brought up your extensive uh, list of credits, uh, providing additional voiceover in, in various different video game projects, many of which very, very different. Um, do you have any uh, favorite lines from any of your... Uh, various background roles doing that stuff but also now I asked this and there was a caveat to the question there was an extra bit and I'm now very nervous because I'm about to make this real Aza suggested that I should test myself and try and match the game to your favorite lines so if you could remember if you could remember your the lines that you really liked from those experiences I need to Aza has challenged me to see if I can guess the game that you're referring to I oh my god! <laughs> I don't know if this is now going to completely fall flat, but so I... I couldn't tell you lines from most of the games I worked on. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh. You know, I'm trying to think. I did. You know, I voiced Gulo in Rage Two, and I yeah. What did I say? I don't remember. <laughs> I love the idea that you've done so much that it's kind of just blurred into well, one. Well, you know, people people were asking me, "What you know, is that you in Final Fantasy? Did I find you? Is that you there?" And uh, there's a lot of like uh, Amanda's dumpster kid. I'm I'm the kid by the dump, and I'm pretty sure that 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 is me. That I am the <laughs> kid by the dumpster, right? Uh, along with a bunch of other characters in in that game, but uh, you know. Um, it's all NDAs and I didn't take any notes. Uh, I didn't keep the sides, anything like that. So I don't, I had a baby like a month before I did that session. So, <laughs> so like. <laughs> so, so your brain I, is, is in I another universe. Tell, <laughs> I couldn't tell you what I said. And then, um, and then what's funny about it is sometimes I listen back and I go, gosh, I'm pretty sure that's me. Oh, I love, but, I love that no, you don't know. I love that I there's... I don't. Yeah, that, that's so and, interesting that you may be <laughs> even hearing it back that might be you and you're still right. not sure. <laughs> and I don't want to, like, assume. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Gulo was, yeah, Gulo was just always looking for the next hit and she was very <laughs> desperate. And so that was... Hello. I love um, that you can just drop into that, by the way. By the way, that's from Rage 2. That's from Rage 2. Uh, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I think. But, um, yeah, I, oh gosh, I don't know. And then I did lose some Hagger in Rage 1. 
and that was just basically my own voice. So I was just like, hey, so you want to learn how to use a wing stick? Um, <laughs> and I don't have my list up, so I couldn't tell you right now. But, you know, um, uh, yeah, I don't think I can play the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, when I saw it, I genuinely, my stomach went, oh, Christ. <laughs> I've got, there are so many things I need to research now <laughs> to make sure that I'm ready. It's been many years, and... yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking at my little, my little list here of like, uh, Irene Liu, when I did Dead or, Dead or Alive Dimensions, that was essentially my voice, but I don't remember the lines I did. I voiced, my very first game was Shrek the Third, where I voice matched for Amy Sedaris. No I way. And then I voice matched Other Mother and the Coraline, so that was Terry Hatcher. But I don't remember, you know, I don't. I don't remember my lines. Um, <laughs> this that felt like therapy. <laughs> that felt like a confession. <laughs> um, well, actually, that that's also uh, again just the master of segues. Um, Rod on Game on Daily also wanted to ask you uh, if you are a gamer uh, and if you have any current favorites, anything that you're playing, and maybe some all-time titles, stuff that you uh, have played and enjoyed in the past. Yes. I am a gamer. Um, and uh, right now, like most of the world, I'm playing Animal, Animal Crossing. Crossing. <laughs> yes. Uh, yep. <laughs> and uh, if my turnip prices are good, I will dodo code on Twitter. And um, that was fun. You can't play at all. If you, if you, if you tweet a dodo code, you, your game basically is on pause. It's, yeah, yeah, it's over, right? Because everyone's going to come and visit. Um, right. In my house, uh, my fiance, she and I, we both have Nintendo Switches. We're both playing Animal Crossing. And our two kids both play Animal Crossing. We're like a full Nintendo situation right now. Uh, love it. Um, I love it. And we, we, you know, we're, and, and three of us got pears as our island fruit. Oh, Three of us, and and so statistically unlikely as well. Yes, we were furious. We were. I bet there was conversations about right, El Marie. Where you may need to reset your switch, and she's like, "I beg your pardon." (laughs) You know, like (laughs) I was like this close to go. You need a new island. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, it's it's become a whole like social thing in our house, and very much, uh, very much enjoyed. We're we're visiting each other, trading um, DIY recipes, and helping each other out, and it's it's just I, I I. I'm hoping that you've had a similar experience where it's been like just really wholesome, chilled out fun. Yeah. And in a time period where we can't actually visit each other in our homes. Yes. uh, It's nice to be able to virtually visit. Uh, So I think the timing of this game was very, very good. Um, And then in the past, you know, I'm a big Sierra fan. I got my start playing King's Quest, Space Quest. I uh, oh, cool. played uh, Mist, and I'm excited because there's a TV show that's in development based on Mist. I saw that. I think maybe on your uh-huh. Twitter today, yeah. actually. Uh, yeah. Yes, that looks awesome. Uh, there, I played Phantasmagoria, um, Seventh Guest. Um, you know, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego was one of my early games. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, and then um, when Brandon and I started dating, he got me a GameCube. Uh, Best console of all time. That's my absolute number one favorite game. It's a great console. It's a great. It's Uh, so weird with this little carry handle on the back. Horrible. Uh, It's amazing. Yeah, I love my GameCube. Uh, And so on that, I played lots of Quidditch World Cup, um, and uh, what else? Uh, SpongeBob games, which were surprisingly (laughs) fun on the game. And then of course, and then of course, uh, lots of Zelda. 
Uh, I basically play all the the latest Zeldas. I like the cell shaded Zeldas the best. Yeah, Wind Waker, um, right? Is the it's just phenomenal. Wind Waker, excellent. Yeah, and then and then um, I played almost all of. Was it Twilight Princess? Was that the last one that came That's out? That's right. It's the one that was cross gen with the Wii. The one that just came out yeah. on Switch was Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. That's what it That's was. That's it. Yeah, Twilight Princess Breath was the, the Wild. that was the GameCube and Wii like crossover game. Yeah. I like Twilight Princess too. Uh no, Breath of the Wild. Um uh that game I played so 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 much of and then I never beat Ganon. I just stopped. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Disaster. But I don't mind. But that's, I don't mind. But I suppose it, your story's got, never ending, isn't it now? For that. The story's never ending. It's always there. But I I mean I did the side quests, I did everything. I, I found all the temples. Like I just oh, went cool. You went hardcore. I, just, I went hardcore and then I said, you know what? I don't feel like beating Ganon today. And then I never went back then to you, it. Then you haven't. <laughs> Poor Ganon. Yeah. He just wants to be yeah. defeated. Uh, I, I don't have to beat Ganon if I don't want to. Absolutely. And that's actually the beauty of that game, right? Is that right. you? it's kind of on your terms. If you want to go and fight Ganon pretty much after you leave the first island bit, good luck. You can go do that. Uh, and right. I, and I know that there are YouTube videos of people doing that, which is just crazy with like no, oh no equipment and just, yeah, it's ridiculous. No way. Um, uh, do you have a favorite game that you've been in? That I've played, uh, that I've also been in. Yeah, actually, that might be quite an interesting thing to or... think about. Oh. A game that you've been in and also played. Uh, okay, I'm pulling up my IMDb page. <laughs> yes. So important. Um, Again, the resource. Let's see. I love that you're having to do this, by the way. I think this is fantastic. You know what's really funny about all the games... I've been in. So I played Coraline, but by and large, the games that I've been in aren't the kinds of games I like to play. Like I did play Lego Dimensions a little bit. Sure. But I mostly play I like to solve puzzles and do platforms. That's a very intriguing so, dis- like distinction because I suppose then Rage 2 not so much. <laughs> right? No, I'm I'm terrible at first-person shooters. Right. And I don't like I don't really like tactical games. Um so, like, the game I play most of the time is Hearthstone. Ah, interesting. Very, very yeah. different from a lot of the other stuff you've mentioned. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Are you playing it on a tablet or on the... Uh... I play it on my phone. Oh, on your phone. Nice. I do. I do. I, I, I have played it on a tablet, but lately I just play it on my phone. And I am enjoying the Demon Hunter expansion very much. Um, and yeah, but you know, what's nice about Hearthstone is you can log on, play a game and log off and it's under 10 minutes of, of game time, but you had a little yeah. fun. It's, it's great for an audition waiting room. Sure. Yeah. Really good pick up and play. Right. Uh-huh. That's yeah. so whenever I'm traveling into London, uh, my switch is like the ultimate best friend for those journey. Cause mm-hmm. it's, I live about half an hour away from uh, central London. Um, so I'm hopping on the train to Houston and uh, to be able to just jump on a quick, like if I've been sent a game to review, I, I might do half an hour extra on that because I know I've got to I've got to play some more when I get home that evening. So there's been mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that. So yeah, I hear you on that. The kind of uh, just the pick up and play experiences can be really nice as as a quick blast, depending on kind of where you are. Right. Uh, one big thing I wanted to go over was your work with Easy Allies, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the lovely Mr. Brandon Jones. Um, founder of Easy Allies. 
uh, and is uh, Captain Hubby. Uh, and mm. uh, obviously the, a, a, bit, a huge part of your involvement with Easy Allies has been mm. uh, Box Peak, has been your work yeah. uh, voicing Geordie. On, on, and, yeah. and also, like, I then discovered, which, by the way, didn't find out until I was researching for the interview maybe four other characters <laughs> like you play other roles within oh, that show i think i think more than that actually. Oh, oh, oh really yeah yeah uh let's see <laughs> you back on your imdb <laughs> i i'm counting at least seven no way yeah i basically was all the women except for like two of the women on the show oh, that's bonkers um yeah i i wanted to ask you about this because it was it started life as a stretch goal on the patreon right it was funded mm-hmm. through can we can we get to this certain point and then if we do kyle uh the director the creator carl bosman will um create this show this this intriguing papercraft animated show um and it did it like smashed its funding and and it wasn't if, if i've got my timeline correct it wasn't actually too much longer after that that then the studio became a reality um mm-hmm. so this was at a time when easy allies was really taking off and I, I was so curious um two things really one how you were approached to get involved with it um okay. and also and then uh, as a follow-up to that uh, what kyle is like as a director so i was approached just he just asked me would i do it and i and i don't even know if he asked me directly or if he had brandon ask me okay but I said, heck yeah, that sounds fun. And then, uh, and then uh, Kyle's director is really fun. He's very collaborative. Uh, you know, you can watch. We did some Q&As at the end of each season. Uh, and um, uh, so you can watch us talk about our process together. But he was very, um, he's very collaborative. And, uh, you know, he has an improv background. Mm. And so... I'd go in the booth and he would sit outside and he could hear me through the, the booth wall pretty well and um, kind of give me some hints like, okay, actually, you know, I want this joke to play this direction or whatever. But then he mostly would let me play and I would give him a couple takes as it read on the page. And then I would start to uh, loosen it up, make it my own, uh, you know, and develop the character more through each recording session and uh, so, yeah, we had a lot of fun together. That's really cool to hear that you were able to, there was that back and forth still, right? Because it's so, it's so very much his, his creative baby, right? Like that was a thing that he has, has conceived of and produces himself. And, you know, in terms of the actual physical making of the sets and the characters, it's, there's so much heart and investment in that. The fact that he was so willing to then collaborate with you, obviously, given your background, it makes a world of sense. But just so, mm. just so nice to hear that there was that back and forth with you guys yeah yeah he he was very a very generous director and he was fun if he you know if whatever he ends up doing in his next phase of his career if he ever gets back to directing voice actors and he wants to work with me again i'd happily do it so it's a great place to have left things as well with him as well that's really cool um because i suppose it's it's something that for you as someone who's clearly been so supportive i mean you know easy allies took over your garage for two and a half three years right (laughs) so um uh you know you've been so endlessly supportive of their efforts and i think it's must be quite that must have felt like for you again i I don't want to put words in your mouth but it it must have felt like quite like for you a nice little tip of the hat to you right that you were able to be uh involved in in such an interesting way 
oh sure yeah no I mean it was really it was really fun to be involved and it didn't take a tremendous amount of time either because we would kind of just he'd have a chunk of episodes and we'd just pick a character and we'd go through all the characters at once and so yeah so it was it was it was nice to be a part of it it was really fun that's great I'm happy that it's brought so many people so much joy and laughter and you know it's just such a cute series yeah it's so I think it's it's a, a show with an innate sweetness to it I think which is mm-hmm. what's so what's so endearing to it um is it sweet though is it I mean is it sweet there's there's i mean there's a real twist some parts but... some parts without spoiling some parts get heavy <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no that, i think that's so that, that's so uh lovely to hear is this idea this notion that you're able to almost in some ways do like once you've done what was on the page like, and that and you were able to kind of do like a fun run i've heard that term mm-hmm. used by the um i was I, i'm a big fan of parks and recreation the tv show and the creators of that show would often they'd shoot the dialogue scenes uh, as they were on on the page and then they would say right let's just keep the cameras on for another like minute or two you guys just do a fun run do the same scene just and do it and improvise it now, 90% mm-hmm. of the time, you know, it was the scripted material that made it in. Did you throw in any improvised material into Box Peak? Yeah, like, like, um, chicken tenders, chicken tenders. They're not fangers. They're just tenders. Like that, I, you know, I made that up. You made that up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, that, a, I thought there's, that was scripted. There's... No. <laughs> nice. That's the second mind blown after the Star Trek improv situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, there was just lots of, I always gave, I always gave Kyle improv takes and he used what he wanted to use nice so that the option was always there yeah right well uh ladies and gentlemen that about wraps it up for episode three of the sum dribble podcast you can find us on twitter at the dribble bucket where our featured guest is announced each and every week you can send questions to the dribble bucket which will be sent to our guest you can find us on Instagram at some drivel. We're on Facebook at some drivel as well. And the podcast goes up on all good podcast services, Spotify, iTunes, maybe Google. Still don't know if it's made it on there. I'd like to say a enormous thank you to my guest this week, Amanda Troop. Amanda, you have been an absolute pleasure to talk to. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for, for giving up your time. Um, your support means the world. So I really appreciate it. Is there anything you would like to say as a sort of sign off to the, the, the Easy Allies community, uh, your fans that follow you on social media, anything you want to just do as a quick final shout out? I'll just say, you know, take it day by day. Take it day by day. We're getting through this as together as we can be. And thank goodness for the internet. So I'll see you all online. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Uh, check us out on Twitter at The Dribble Bucket. We'll be back next week for some more drivel. Mm-hmm.